Our need to stand still in a world filled with chaos and uncertainty has never been more important. You are invited to take this moment to wrap your heart and mind in narratives from the Hebrew scriptures, connect to its deep guidance, and move toward practices for encountering the presence of God in your life. Thanks for listening today to the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bruff. The following recording is part of a series called Be Still and Behold, 10 Weeks Exploring God's Presence in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was recorded in Winnipeg, Canada, for Prairie Presbyterian Church, where I am the pastor. This is Part 7, God in the Temple, Part 2. We acknowledge that we are gathered on Treaty 1 land, first entrusted by Creator God to the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, the homeland of the Red River Métis. Examine me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I get up. Even from far away, you understand my motives. You carefully observe me when I travel or when I lie down to rest. You are aware of everything I do. I will give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You knew me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. How difficult it is for me to fathom your thoughts about me, O God. How vast is there some total? If I tried to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Even if I finished counting them, I would still have to contend with you. Where can I go? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee? Where can I flee? Yeah. 
Today's scripture reading is about the foundation of the second temple being built after God's people have returned to their land after a time of long exile. The new temple is bittersweet for some as they remember the way it was before the exile and what the old temple in all its splendor was like. Sometimes we long for the way things were. Sometimes we feel stuck in the present moment without a way to see what is ahead. Sometimes we need to confess those things to God and ask God to open us up to new possibilities. Let us pray. God of new possibilities, we can feel as though we are in a dry spell where it is hard to believe that you are present or that your presence will make any difference. We confess to having held on too long to an old way of life, something we thought worked for us and maybe even did work for a time. We confess to loving things over a relationship with you and sometimes even relationships with others. We confess to wanting things to go back to the way they used to be, even when we know that the good old days weren't good for everyone. We confess to being afraid because we don't know what's next. We confess to not trusting in you and not being willing to wait on you. We confess to not allowing others, unlike ourselves, to show us the way. We confess to not seeing you at work in the lives of those different than us. We confess to thinking that we know better. We confess to anger, resentment, apathy, and despair at feeling stuck. O Lord, as we look back on what has been and look toward what could be, transform our imagination. Bend our wills to yours. Instruct us in your way and free us from assumptions about how we think things ought to be. Renew us by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Friends, in Christ, God is making all things new. The old life is gone and a new one is begun. Allow the grace of God to rest upon you today to shape your heart to love as Christ loves. For Christ does love you. In Christ, God came into this world, showed us the way to live in love, and ended up on a cross. Suffering and dying there, as all seemed lost, the curse of death was broken. He did not remain stuck in a tomb, but rose to new life. And because of this, you are assured of new life in Christ. Know today that you are forgiven that new life is always possible, and be at peace. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I invite you to take a moment to send a message to someone, or even turn to the person next to you and encourage them. The first thing Jesus said to his followers after rising from the dead was, peace be with you. They didn't know what would be next, but Jesus' peace was with them. When we share the peace with each other, We are witnessing to new life, sometimes in the midst of deep uncertainty. Who might you share the peace with who is worried about their future? Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. 
he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And at that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way. Today's message is called God in the Temple, Part 2, or we could have called it When God's Presence is Nowhere to be Found, because actually, I know it says God in the Temple, but our reading today is about the Temple and God not showing up. Uh, There's been something that I've been wanting to share throughout this series that I haven't yet, and we've gotten uh, pretty far in now. And that's a particular term that has been used in Jewish communities for uh, centuries. Um, The term is the Shekinah. And it literally means the dwelling. Uh, The Shekinah is basically the majestic presence or manifestation of God, which has descended to dwell So all of these readings that we've heard throughout this series about the glory of God or the cloud showing up, you could use the word Shekinah to explain or to describe that presence. It's the presence of God, but it's a term that's actually never used in the Bible. Um, The oldest usage of this was in early Aramaic translations, paraphrases, and midrash of the Hebrew scriptures. And... The thought is it may have been used as a way of talking about God's presence without compromising God's transcendence, which we've talked about, right? This interplay between God being close, but also God being far off, God being other. 
And so the Shekinah is basically a noun to describe this idea that that God seems to actually show up and be present with us. Um, So there's God, big God, transcendent God, and then there is the Shekinah, the presence of God. Um, This became a very common way of talking about God's presence in Judaism uh, shortly after the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem in the year 70. So after that, this, this became a, a common way of talking about God's presence. And then in some writings, starting in the Middle Ages, the Shekinah ends up being associated with female attributes of God, since the noun Shekinah is a feminine noun in Hebrew. So the thought was this may be sort of the, the feminine side of God, if you will, which in a way sort of makes sense to think about this presence that shows up often in a comforting, or we've seen sometimes not so comforting way. Um, And so that's been picked up by feminist scholars as well to kind of reflect on, well, what might this mean to understand um, feminine side of God in terms of God showing up and being among us? Um, This whole series has been about the presence of God, about the Shekinah of God, And this becomes important in this particular reading that we're looking at today. Uh, The context of the reading from Ezra is actually coming back after the exile. So the Israelites had been in Israel, they had a monarchy, and eventually that all was completely lost and destroyed. The temple itself, the first temple that Solomon built that we heard about last week, was um, completely destroyed. And essentially, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, were carried off into exile in Babylon, and they were there for 50 to 70 years. Now, this was a major crisis for God's people, a major crisis, because not only have they been exiled from their home, which is terrible and difficult, they've also experienced the loss of the residing place of God among them in the community. So for that time in exile, there's no unifying way of thinking about God's presence among God's people. To put this in some perspective, prior to the exile, between the temple and the tabernacle before it, the people of God understood that God was among them in those places for 860 years. That's a long time to be thinking and relating to God in that particular way, and then suddenly be cut off from that and that being destroyed. Um, Things like the Ark of the Covenant are lost in this time period, and, and artifacts from the temple are lost in this time period as well. So our reading is actually after the exile is over, A whole bunch of them have been given permission to go back home, back to Judah, back to Jerusalem. And so they return. The crisis is now over. And they return. They're going back to start over, to rebuild their lives. And so the question is, when you are in a situation like that, what should you do? And in some ways, this is actually a place where many of us find ourselves right now. And it's a place that a lot of churches find themselves right now. What should we do in this present moment when a lot seems lost, 
but while we may still have the opportunity to do something. Now, the answer in Ezra is, let's rebuild the temple. Here's what happened. Let's get the priestly system going again. Let's bring it back to that dependable structure that we had for 860 years and that we've not had for 50 years or so. Let's bring it back to that. And so that's what they do. They lay the foundations for the temple. And this reading we have is, is kind of a dedication of the foundations in a way. Um, and we have the priests again, like we had last week. And we have the trumpeters again, like we had last week. And we have exactly the same words that are said, just slightly modified. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. They add in the toward Israel in this case. And so they say the same words. They're singing this. There's this big ceremony at the foundations of this new temple that we're rebuilding. And where's the smoke? Where's the fire? Where's the earthquake? None of that happens. Instead, we just read this. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, the first temple on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house. The first thing is, is that the second temple is unimpressive by the standards of the first temple. I didn't uh, go in and research, you know, the dollar value associated with the second one. I don't know if that detail can be really discovered. Um, but in essence, this second temple is nowhere close to Solomon's first temple. It's not as grand. And so maybe they're just sad because, well, this foundation, I can't see that this is going to work, and they're, they're weeping. But maybe the sadness was because of the lack of the Shekinah, of the presence of God not being there. We find that there's later reflection on this um, that shows up in some of the Jewish writings. The Babylonian Talmud specifically um, talks about the second temple lacking certain things that the first temple did not, that the first temple had. And it names five things. Um, four of those things are basically particular objects like the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the sacred fire, um, and then a few other things. And I'm not going to get into describing what those are. We can kind of picture the Ark and the, and the sacred fire. The Ark was where the, the tablets of the, um, the Ten Commandments were kept in the ark, right? Um, but the fifth one was not a particular object. The fifth one that the Talmud names as specifically being lacking from, from the second temple was the Shekinah, is what it says in the Talmud. It uses that word. The Shekinah, the glorious presence of God, was missing from the second temple. Now, the rabbis uh, have various theories on why the Shekinah was absent from the second temple. Um, here are two prominent ones that I came across. One was that, you know what, the entire nation actually did not return to Jerusalem. And so there's no unity in the nation. Uh, and so no, if you don't have unity, if you don't have the whole nation, you don't get the presence of God. That was an argument that was made. I thought that was interesting. Another one, which I found a little more convincing, was that um, when they rebuilt the second temple, or when they built the second, second temple, uh, the kingdom of Judah was still under foreign rule. So they had had permission to go back and rebuild, 
um, and sort of have a little bit of governance, but they weren't self-governing. They were actually still under uh, a foreign rule. And so the idea was, well, God's presence doesn't show up until God is truly the ruler of God's people. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. And there's a bunch of other uh, theories and conversations about why the Shekinah was absent from the second temple. But here is the challenge for us and why I think this is important for us, particularly for the church in North America. Because maybe we are also in a time of an experienced lack in the presence of God. In fact, maybe this is exactly why the elders of my church said, let's do a series on the presence of God because we really need to have more of the presence of God. Maybe it's because we have a lack of the presence of God that we sense we need that. But it's more than that, right? There is continued decline in the church. There is a sense of not knowing what to do about it either. And sometimes it's just that something feels off as a community or even as a whole religion, or sometimes as individuals. We have a sense of dryness in our faith or a sense of loss of something that may have been there before. As the temple foundations are built in Ezra, there is this celebration that's orchestrated. But in the midst of it, the older people who are there are lamenting because it is not the same as it was before. The Shekinah doesn't show up. And that's both at the celebration of the foundations, but also if you go and read in Ezra 6, you get the opening day of the temple itself. And in Ezra 6, the opening day is described almost matter-of-factly, especially when you compare it to the opening day of Solomon's temple. And once again, there's no cloud, there's no cataclysmic event, the Shekinah doesn't show up. The first thing that happens is lament. The people that remember the way it once was are weeping, they're lamenting. It's not just a question of, ah, oh, it's not as good as it was before. There's this deep sorrow for what was lost. The second thing is a kind of questioning that the rabbis pick up, kind of looking back on this time. And it's interesting to note that these arguments that we have about the rabbis arguing about um, the Shekinah in the second temple all take place after that second temple was destroyed in 70 CE. There is this deep questioning of why. Why hasn't the Shekinah showed up? Why didn't it work to rebuild a version of what we had before? And I think we ask the same questions. The first thing is lament, a sense of loss, and then a questioning of why? Why didn't it work? And then I suppose we move eventually to then what now? And actually, I have no answer for that. Other than to keep trusting in God anyway. Hopefully, see the new thing that God will do. And then have the courage to join in. So, 
perhaps we will see. Amen. I'll encourage you once again to take some time this week and even in this moment now to practice centering prayer. This is actually a practice of deep trust in God because instead of just bringing our concerns and our laments and our questioning and our why to God, we are trying to clear all of that out of the way to simply be in God's presence. Um, So again, a reminder, you can choose a word or a phrase. Could be the word grace or the word light or the word love or Christ. And um, for about two minutes, and you can try longer on your own, we'll do two minutes here, you just repeat that word or phrase to you. And as your mind wanders, bring your thought back to your word or your phrase. And the goal is to really just be in the presence of God for these couple of minutes. I invite you to close your eyes if that's something that you feel safe doing. And just take a few breaths in and out. Pay attention to how that feels. Imagine the spirit of God filling you and spreading out into every part of your body. Now bring your word to mind. And all you're going to focus on for the next two minutes is your word or phrase. Each time you catch yourself wandering, just bring yourself back to the word without judgment and return to your breathing in and out. I've set a timer, and so at the end of two minutes, I will let you know. This will not go on forever, I promise. Let us take a moment to breathe and enter into prayer. And that 
was two minutes. For some of you, that may have felt very, very long. And for others, as if only a moment has gone by. And so I invite you to slowly blink open your eyes if they were closed, to return to breathing normally, and to join us in song as we finish our service. Amen. Special thanks to Ashley Boychuk for her reading and singing of the psalm, Aaron Whitaker for her tireless work on the liturgy, Wes Keeley for all his technical wizardry and producing the original videos for the series. You can find the video version of Be Still and Behold on the YouTube channel for Prairie Presbyterian Church. Visit prairiechurch.ca to find out more and to get the accompanying PDF. I'm Matt Bruff, pastor at Prairie Presbyterian Church in Winnipeg and host of this, the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. Thanks for listening today. Take care.